Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. And you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. As we always do uh, at this stage of the week, we have someone in to talk about some stories from the weekend. Elaine Lachlan is Deputy Political Editor with The Examiner. Elaine, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, there's a Fianna Fáil thinking going on today, the, the, the uh, Fine Gael were last week. What happens at a thinking? Yeah, this is the, the week or or the few days where political parties have to think very hard, Sean, about what they're going to do as the doll. The doll is coming back on, on Wednesday. Hmm. So all of the political parties, opposition and government, have now spent at least a day thinking. As you said, Fine Gael had their thinking in Kilkenny on Friday and Saturday. Fianna Fáil unfortunately for them chose Mullingar uh, to hold their thinking um, yeah. obviously this was planned well in advance of the controversy surrounding their local TD now former Minister of State Robert Troy but if they're looking for a place to say he could probably sort them out he probably could yeah. he's multiple properties yes. in the area as we now know uh, <laughs> so, but but is is it more PR? Is there actual thinking going on? Is there actual changes in policy or developments of policy going on? Well, I'm sure the politicians will say there's there's plenty of good work being done at these thinkings. And I, I didn't mention that Sinn Féin also will have a thinking. Yes. That's on tomorrow, a one-day event in Dublin. Um, but it's, it all happens behind closed doors, very much away from ourselves in the media. We get little snippets of what's going on, maybe at lunchtime with the odd uh, political briefing or press conference from some of the leaders of the parties. Um, very earnest faces coming out of those conference rooms, uh, maybe to use the bathroom now and again. But mm. we don't get a lot of insight um, as to what exactly they talk about when they're in there. But apparently they need to do it anyway before the, the doll resumes to get perhaps all on message and that was something that came out of Fine Gael on Friday I was down there in Kilkenny and one thing that was spoken about was how they have to get on the same page now and begin campaigning for an election uh, they're currently around 18 to 20% mm. in the polls Fine Gael Members at that private meeting on Friday were told that on a very good day they should be aiming to get up to 32%. Whoa! It's a big jump uh, considering where they are now Um, and a lot of that will be around messaging. So they can't be everything to everyone was what uh, Leo Varadkar told his TDs, senators and MEPs and they now need to be focusing on uh, putting money back in people's pockets, making work pay, all of these slogans that you might start hearing from backbench TDs and senators in the coming months. Just watch out for them because that's what they've been told to say when they're talking to the likes of yourself and myself. Yeah, so I mean, but that's no great surprise, I suppose. They're, they're a centre-right party. They're for people who get up in the morning and all those kinds of uh, all those kinds of messages. That's fine. But I suppose by Leo saying that, no, we can't be all things to all people, He's saying let's not be like Fianna Fáil, which is possibly still trying to be all things to all people. Perhaps. And he made a point of stating at or to media on uh, on Friday that Fine Gael in absolutely no circumstances will be facilitating Sinn Féin or a Sinn Féin government, uh, whether that be, you know, some sort of arrangement or even going into coalition. And that's perhaps how Fine Gael see themselves different to Fianna Fáil in the fact that Fianna Fáil have been slightly grey in this area, mm. uh, maybe leaving the door slightly ajar for a Sinn Féin 
Fianna Fáil uh, coalition or certainly some sort of a deal after the next election. Um, and that's how they're going to differentiate themselves as well. Yeah, even though by saying we should be aiming at 32%, um, which is, you know... It's a bold statement. It's, a bold it's, it's, it's somewhat ambitious. That's a tacit exam- uh, uh, acceptance, though, that... In general terms, the Irish political landscape now is a third and a third and a third. Mm -hmm. And it has been for a long time. Um, We are never going to return to an era where we have one party in power. It'll be some sort of a cobbling together of small parties, independents, larger parties, maybe two larger parties like we have at the moment uh, to get us across the line and get a majority. Um, It'll be interesting to see though next time around what the numbers are, how big of a share... Sinn Féin actually get in that vote and I'm sure they'll be talking about that when they meet in Dublin tomorrow. But why would Leo be already kind of trying to prime his people for an election given that, you know, his expectation would be was in December he's going to become Taoiseach again? Yeah, and there was no indication that uh, members were told this because they're expecting some sort of a snap election or an immediate election. I think we're okay as voters in that respect but the fact that they're, they're on that 18 to 20% right now. They have a lot of work to do to get close to a 30%, 32%. So maybe it's just the fact that they'll have to graft to really get every single vote that they can ahead of a general election. That's why they've been told to go out and campaign and get the running shoes on or the walking boots on. And would part of that, from Leo's point of view, be who he chooses for his cabinet? Yeah, and this is something definitely that was discussed um, on Friday. Will definitely be discussed today in Mullingar Um, and actually I thought it was interesting in Mullingar uh, this morning that Taoiseach arrived at a housing event with Housing Minister Dara uh, O'Brien but also gave a lift to a certain someone a now former Minister of State Robert Troy so that's an interesting um, indication as to where uh, Micheál Martin stands on Robert Troy's uh, predicament, shall we say, that Mm. he got himself into over the summer. Many onlookers would have said that perhaps even just having Robert Troy in the photograph would have been enough to indicate that he is still supportive of his now backbench TD. But he went one step further and actually gave him a lift to the event. Um, So these are the type of things that are (laughs) scrutinised. Is that really that important? (laughs) He gave him a lift. Ah, Well, if you're inside the political... If Robert Troy was made walk, uh, that that photo opportunity would have been even worse. Mm, He's a Minister of State, though surely he should have been able to get his own Way or I or he own owns way. a bicycle and, and probably knows his way around. Uh, um, so, like any choice that Leo makes about his new cabinet, and I suppose he's got a choice between does he just you know have the same old Fine Gael faces or does he you know is is there the room there? Does he have the strength and depth on the bench mm-hmm. uh, to, to have a completely new cabinet, well, excluding is, the Green and Fianna Fáil bits, obviously. Yeah, and this is something where both Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar slightly differ. We've had soundings from Leo Varadkar for the past year now saying that he wants a fresh face going into the next general election. Fine Gael can't just simply turn up on the posters ahead of election with the same faces that they've had now since 2011 in some cases Mm. on the front bench. So I think he will be looking to do something more radical certainly than Micheál Martin who's indicated when this reshuffle comes he kind of wants to keep the same people in place. They've only been there for half a term. The likes of Housing Minister Dara O'Brien and others he wants to give them a chance. Whereas Leo is indicating um, that he wants to make larger, more radical moves and even 
last year before Christmas at a private meeting of his own party. He effectively put his ministers on notice. He said that he's, he'll be uh, marking their scores from now on on their performance that mm. no seat was safe and from talking to, to people last week as well that certainly was not just an idle threat he and his key officials have been looking at the performances of all ministers over the past year and interestingly enough also some backbenchers um, because for every demotion there has to be a promotion yeah. um, so I think everybody in Fine Gael is being closely monitored on their performance in the media, in their departments, if they're ministers, and how they interact as well with backbenchers. And that's quite important when you're in a large political party. Um, it's been to- noted to me that, you know, sometimes people get promoted to this big ministerial role. They have their, you know, their driver, their office and government buildings, and they quickly forget about their backbenchers. Others who are more shrewd and perhaps cute uh, and play mm-hmm. the game they know that they have to keep their backbenchers sweet and that, you know, requests that come in, questions that perhaps come into the office are always answered quickly and swiftly. And that's definitely noted within the party and that may also have a factor or be a factor in in how the the cards are shuffled or the or the seats are That's, moved around the cabinet uh, table as well. Uh, well, but that would that obviously everything you said there would seem to indicate a degree of <clears throat> ambition or perhaps alarm about what might happen at the at the next election. Do you get the sense that there's a similar degree of alarm uh, stroke ambition within Fianna Fáil? Ooh, ye- yes and no. Uh, they're certainly coming at it in different ways. You mm. know. As leaders, they're really like chalk and cheese in their approach. Uh, Leo Varadkar, as we know, is he, he can be quite outspoken at times yeah. um, and is sometimes ahead of the pack, ahead of both other government leaders when it comes to announcing uh, or making announcements on issues, indicating where he believes the government should go. I think Michal Martin, as Taoiseach, certainly is more restrained. Uh, we had that just last week when Green Party leader Eamon Ryan ahead of the cabinet meeting said that there indicated that there would be that energy rebate for people in uh, this month's budget now. I was going to say next month it's creeping up on us. Um, and just a few hours later Michal Martin wouldn't even confirm that and mm. said that the budget, he wouldn't be negotiating the budget with members of the media. So I think that's, his approach is certainly different to Leo Varadkar's approach and I think that will be reflected in how both parties go uh, about campaigning in a general election. Yeah, What ministry uh, or what department do you think Michal Martin will choose? Mm, and this has been talked about for many months uh, in Leinster House because we all love a bit of gossip in, in Leinster mm. House. Uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs is one that is mentioned and that could give him a platform to perhaps get a job in Europe uh, afterwards and, and go on and serve in, in some position in Europe. Mm. Um, you have to remember though it's it's a very dangerous uh, portfolio to be in if you're leader of a party as Michal Martin is because if you're away it gives quite a bit of uh, wriggle room and scope to perhaps people in the party who aren't really uh, very supportive of you and we saw that when Labour were in government as well Um Eamon Gilmore got caught out badly. He was abroad when Roisin Shortall decided uh, to play a little trick on him and was scrambling to get home to Ireland when his 
party were in absolute chaos. Mm. So, but Michael Martin knows his days are numbered as leader anyway. He does, but you wouldn't want to heave when you're perhaps in China or on the other side of the world, would you? It, it wouldn't be the best scenario <laughs> to find yourself in. Um, there are other portfolios being talked about. He could do a direct swap with Leo Varadkar. He could go into higher education. It's a department that he actually created when he became Taoiseach. It's now, you know, within uh, Fine Gael's power. Simon Harris has that one, but it's one that he could go into. Um, but very hard to make out what might be on Michal Martin's mind. He's he's a man who doesn't really give anything mm-hmm. away. And the, the Sinn Féin thinking, I, I, I would imagine, at least in part, is um, uh, must be looking at how many candidates are we going to run? Mm. Have they given any indication? Because maybe if they ran twice the amount of candidates... The, the results might be extraordinary. Yeah, and the, they don't have as much thinking to do as both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They're only thinking for a day as opposed to two. Um, but certainly Mary Lou Macdonald has said in the past that her one regret about the 2020 elections was that she didn't run enough candidates because there were constituencies where there was a surplus that could have got perhaps even maybe two more candidates in where they only yeah. uh, won one seat. So definitely in those kind of constituencies you'll see far more candidates uh, put forward and they'll be hoping to to dra- dramatically increase their seats. And obviously we do have, we could have potentially up to 11 more seats in the next doll because of the increase in our overall population. So every party ah, as well will be thinking yes, of that. That's interesting, yeah. yeah um, and there'll be in some instances, a dramatic change in constituencies because of that. So you may even see maybe constituencies uh, split in two. You could see for the first time ever a six-seat constituency. Um, if that's how uh, the constituencies are drawn up, we'll know that probably mid next year. Um, so parties will be able to decide how many uh, candidates they put forward towards the middle of, of next year. Is it known what parts of the country that, uh, that these increases might take place? Well, we have had increases across the country, but obviously Dublin and, and the wider Leinster area has dramatically increased its population and it's all based on obviously census figures as well. Um, so you'd imagine some of those, the Dublin constituencies, Leinster constituencies and more urban constituencies could see the bigger changes. Mm, yeah. um, we do know that that will be coming. So that's an interesting one. So by that very by the very nature that we are going to see more candidates put forward. But certainly I think Sinn Féin would be looking for a dramatic increase yeah, in and the numbers. But increases in urban areas would probably benefit Sinn Féin more than, say, Fine Gael, depending on, you know, unless it's in Fox Rock. Yeah, <laughs> demographics obviously yeah, come into it, yeah. You'd have thought so. Uh, right, OK, well, we'll move away from politics because the, uh, um, one of the stories you uh, wanted to talk about was was the death of Tom Kavanagh from Cork. Now, people outside Cork might know who he was mm-hmm. uh, and he was a, a very wealthy man, he did very well in business. But I suppose what's interesting about him was that he was a philanthropist and we don't really hear about native-born philanthropists. Yeah, and this is the thing. He set up the Tomer Trust in 1987. He died late last uh, week. And as you say, he he would be a household name in Cork. There's a bridge in UCC named after him um, and other buildings on the UCC campus. He gave generously across the board uh, to many organisations in the Munster area, um, everything from uh, domestic abuse to helping immigrants. And also, as I said, education, mm. children, um, that sort of thing. So the area has dramatically benefited 
from his philanthropic endeavours. But as you said, we're not really into it in this country. We really do lag behind. And I know probably listeners will say, what? We're really generous. Ireland is such a generous country. And it is. We do. We do generally top, the, almost top the list, if not top the list for our charitable donations. Yes. Yeah. But there's a there's a key difference there. We probably give, you know, the fiver or the tenor to the local GAA draw or, you know, if there's some sort of uh, a tragic incident or a fundraiser, we're more than happy to give that sort of money, low level um, donations to charity. But this is slightly different and it's probably more effective. Uh, certainly in the long run, um, philanthropic donations, they look towards what the benefit might be for the whole country or for a people in 10, 20, 30 years time. So they're larger donations. Um, so there was a bit of work done on this in 2021. The government did ask uh, to to review our level of giving, shall we say. We give around 1.2 billion in charity donations every year, but only around 1.8 million of that is designated as philanthropic. So you can see the difference there mm. that we're more than, as I said, willing to give to the local GA lottery where we might win a car or a holiday abroad. But that larger level of donating and sometimes anonymous donating as well, it, we're lagging behind. And I think... Um, but that, these are, we're talking about wealthy people doing this kind of thing. Yeah, organisations, businesses mm. uh, and wealthy individuals themselves. Um, and I think one one uh, statistic that's stood out for me is less than 1% of all gi- gift giving over €5,000. Uh, or it, it, we have that in Ireland, whereas in New Zealand that figure is 30%. Is right. So on an annual basis, only yeah. 1% of donations are donations over five grand. Yeah. It's 30% in New Zealand. That's, that's so interesting. Um, uh, uh, before we go, because um, we spend so much time talking about thinkings, uh, and this is one of those end of the world stories, uh, invasive octopi. Now, the, uh, now we've done, uh, you know, you're, you're normal, I should point out, because we've done the story before, you're, you're, normal um, um, uh, kind of thing you might see floating a man of war. Mm. This is a different thing. These, are how, these aren't how these are giant octopuses or anything like that. They're Please. fairly giant. They yeah. have a span of a metre, uh, which is And they shouldn't be around here. That's no, the point. No, they're, uh, they belong in the Bay of Biscay, essentially, but they have been found in increasing numbers off the west coast, the southwest coast. And effectively, they're killing our lobsters. So lobster fishermen have been going into their lobster pots, finding the lobsters dead or eaten or in in half bits, semi yeah. bits. Um, and it's because these giant uh, creatures who have floated, drifted northwards because of our seas increasing. And I think the seas around Ireland are currently around 19 degrees at the moment. So they're balmy. Um, And there is a worry that because there are so many of them in in the seas right now around our our coasts, that they could be breeding here. And it's not just an odd stray octopus landing off the coast that might float back down. Uh, and this is, of course, the effect of climate change. So they may well be here, f- uh, here for good. And that will, God, that will have had some sort of effect on the marine ecosystem. Elaine, thanks, Manya, for coming in to us uh, today. That was Elaine Lachlan there, Deputy Political Editor with the Irish Examiner. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Let's find out what's in the cash machine. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? 
think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.